Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. And uh, it's just such a privilege to be uh, among you all and to um, bring this word that honestly, I really am getting a bit... um, having some stern words with God because I keep preparing sermons in advance because Sue's really organised and gives me lots of notice and I prepare them in advance and then I get to the week before and the Holy Spirit just starts talking to me about different things to do with the passage that Sue's given me. It's always the same and I keep going, but God, I've already written my notes and made my PowerPoint. (laughs) Anyway... He keeps stretching us and I think that bravery thing, Rach, that you said, yeah, it takes a bit of bravery to be um, willing, I feel, to keep listening to him because Jesus kept saying all throughout his ministry, it's recorded in the Gospels, I only do what I see my father doing, I only say what I hear my father saying and yet honestly, I don't know about you, but how often do we (laughs) look around and think, but I can't see what God's doing right now. And I, I'm not sure if that's his voice or just the little voice in my head. So tonight we're speaking about spiritual health. It's just really um, the topic that the, the Spirit kind of percolated in my, in my heart this week from the passage in Matthew 6 because we're going through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount together. We're taking our time with it. And this week we're in the middle of chapter 6. And I started it because the, the section we're reading is about fasting, but then it goes on to talk about, well, I was trying to figure it out, but I figured it out. I think for tonight, for us, what he has for us tonight is about spiritual health. How do we make sure that we have a good spiritual life, that it is healthy, that it is full of the light that is Jesus and his truth and his word? And how do we actually then operate out of that? It's a big question and one we're going to tackle together tonight. And I really am expectant that he wants to give us confidence tonight that we might not always be 100% sure that we're seeing what the Father is seeing or hearing what the Father is seeing, but we have a really good model in Jesus and that even when we're not sure if we're all on track, the actual process is that it takes some faith and action. You can't just sit back and wait and this is the bravery bit of still taking the action even when you're not quite sure if you're doing what it is you're meant to be doing in this life with Jesus. So uh, let's get stuck in. We're going to read from Matthew 6, 6, starting at verse 16. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, 
your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I've been having to journey with a physio over the last eight weeks because I fell down my stairs and really badly sprained an ankle. And the physio is telling me that we're on track, progress is happening, and if I just do these eight exercises, you know, in certain numbers of reps and sets and a certain number of times a week, I'll get, I'll get it all the way back to full health. It'll be just as strong as it was, if not stronger, which is great. And every time I see her, I get really excited and I go, yep. And the next day I do all the exercises. And then the day after that, I do my, a couple. And then the day after that, I kind of do it accidentally. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm doing that balancing thing she told me to do. <laughs> Good on me. And then I forget all about it. See, I know there's some knowledge that I've been given that if I do these exercises, I will get better. And it's convinced me in my head. I agree with her. Yes, if I do those exercises, I'll feel better. I'll get stronger. Good. And yet there's something, some reason why I only have the energy or the the impulse to actually act on that for one or two days after I last see her. And then usually one or two days before I'm due to see her again and I start feeling really guilty that I can't actually balance on my leg any longer than I could last time I saw her. So I, again, feel this rush and this urgency to do these exercises in the three days before I see her again. And see, what is happening is that there's a gap between what I want to do, what I would like to do, and my actual behaviour to make that a reality. And not only that, but there's actually a gap between what I want, what I deeply, truly want, and what I think I want. What I think I want is to do these exercises the way she's explained it perfectly. But what I actually want is something else because it's not what I'm doing. I'm not doing what I think I want. I'm doing what I just want all the time. I'm still behaving out of my habits and I'm still doing things that come naturally to me, the path of least resistance, which is to just the kids are in bed and I'm just going to watch some TV with my husband instead of doing my exercises. It's easier. (laughs) We all have this to some extent where we might learn something new intellectually and we start to think we want this thing, but it takes time to travel down into our hearts until it truly is what we want. And there's a lot of research about this, both among Christian researchers and also secular psychologists, to kind of confirm that this is just a condition, a part of the human condition, is that we regularly find that we go, this is what I really want to do, And then we struggle to actually live it out day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. Because we just are creatures of habit. And it takes a long time for those habits, those small daily routines to really change. And Jesus knew that. And so today when we're getting into spiritual life, I just want to keep that in mind that that it's actually about our habits because I feel like we keep reading things into the Bible that isn't quite there all the time which we do often I've heard it spoken of with this I this metaphor of the eyes being the lamp for the body and I've heard it said that Jesus is just saying if you keep looking at the light you'll see the light so we just have to be careful what we let our eyes look at 
And I think it's something deeper than that, almost to the area of the intangible, I'm not doing what I truly want to do. Like, I'm not doing what I think I want to do. I'm doing something that's more deep-seated that I almost have, feels like I have no control over. Because Jesus isn't saying, just make your eyes look at the light, just find all pure, good, holy things. That's not his metaphor here. His metaphor is, if your eyes aren't well, you won't see the light. And who has control over the cataracts growing across their eyes? Who can will them to recede back? He's not using a metaphor here of things that we have conscious control over. He's using a metaphor here for things that we can't control. Light and darkness is often throughout scripture a metaphor for spiritual life and spiritual death. Darkness and light. And the eyes, though, aren't just our ability to control whether or not we're in the light or the dark. Jesus is just stating a fact. If it's healthy, you'll see the light. If it's not healthy, you'll be in darkness. And it's a scary warning that he's giving us here because when we read it this way, like really what he's saying, we don't have a lot of control over the health of our eyes. But... This warning comes at the end of a big chunk of scripture where Jesus has been talking about the same theme throughout. And he's been talking about spiritual practices or righteous acts as he calls them. And he's talking about why we do what we do when we're disciples and followers of Jesus. So let's dig into that before we circle back to this idea because I really think that the main question we have tonight is how do we prevent having an unhealthy spiritual life and how do we maintain our spiritual health when Jesus, especially when Jesus' metaphor here is about something that's beyond our conscious control? What's he actually saying? And to get into that, we just need to go back to Matthew 6, verse 1. So we started looking at Matthew 6 two weeks ago. We started first talking about giving to the needy and then we talked about prayer. And this week uh, we're moving into the third spiritual practice, fasting. These were the three big practices of Jesus' time that really shaped the life of a disciple of a rabbi. But he says right at the start of Matthew 6, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, be careful. This needs our attention. This is something that we can't let slide and this is something that we do have some conscious control over. And here we see Jesus is talking about our motives and our intentions. This isn't about showing off for other people. But he's also talking about our deep-seated need to be accepted and approved of by others. Sometimes it's our dire need to win the approval of others. However, as I've already mentioned, we barely have control over what truly motivates us. We find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do. Romans 7, Paul complains, the Apostle Paul complains of the same condition. We're not alone. And in Proverbs we see, even way back, this has been known for a very long time, Proverbs 16 too, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the law. How hard it is to see truly, to truly weigh your own motives. <laughs> Only God knows. It's repeated in Proverbs 22. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Without an external revelation, all our ways can seem natural, normal, or innocent to us. 
But our hearts aren't just difficult to understand. They're actually called deep waters in Proverbs 25. And it says only a man of understanding can draw them out. How are we, so how difficult it is to discern when our motives have wandered off from the path of life-giving, of like the life-giving path. No wonder the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because it's really difficult for us to tell for ourselves. We're at risk of making our own morality, our own rules. This is something we need the Lord's help with. This is something that his spirit has to do with us and deepen our understanding of what's truly going on in our hearts. So now our question becomes, if we can't see when our spiritual lives have become unhealthy, how are we meant to actually truly alter our motives? How are we meant to make, like, really do that check and balance and be careful the way that Jesus said to his disciples? How are we meant to do that? Well, thankfully, Jesus has offered us some hope in his teaching in Matthew 6. Because in the verses that precede our warning about our spiritual eyes being the lamp to the body, we see Jesus um, also helping us to understand uh, that we actually do always need to be seen and accepted. And he validates this deep need that we have to be seen. This is actually, Jesus is providing us a route to spiritual life that is a foretaste of what behavioural sciences have come to understand about the human condition. It is that you can't just tell somebody to change by cutting a habit out of their life. It is so much easier to change by doing something that's called rehabituating. Because often these, these things we do that don't give us life or that don't bring life and flourishment to the world around us are actually just counterfeits. They're just things that are replacing genuine needs that we have. And so to cut it out altogether can just leave us a little bit wobbly and often it doesn't work. We fall back into our old ways altogether. But Jesus isn't saying, look, you just need to stop doing things for the just to be seen by others. It's not about showing off or performing, okay? He's actually saying, no, no, that's fine, but you need, you need this. He validates it because he says in verses 4, 6 and 8, three times in Matthew 6, he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So if you are just find yourself constantly worrying about what other people are thinking or maybe even having moments where you're feeling anxious about doing something because you're not sure how it will be received by someone else, oftentimes acts of generosity can lead us to this anxiety of what will this person actually think about this. Oftentimes we're worried about what people are thinking of us and we might not even be aware that we're worried about it because it's something that is just we're so motivated by a need to be validated, to be seen, to be approved of, to be loved and accepted by others. And Jesus isn't saying there's something wrong with that. <laughs> He's saying, yep, and your father sees you and he rewards you. So he's not saying stop being motivated by your deep need for approval when you're doing your spiritual acts and disciplines. He's saying, mm, 
We just want to refocus where it is that you're drawing that reward from, why you're doing it, can be deeply the same reason. It's just that we're not doing it for one another, for our peers, for the people who we can tangibly see. We're doing it for the love of a father who is unseen. Now, there's still some tricky things in this, which is why I'm so grateful that Jesus also gave us the metaphor of treasures. From verse 19, he starts talking about, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, the ones that are indestructible. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember the, in Proverbs, we got this picture of our motives and our hearts being interchangeable. There's this idea that what we're motivated by is found in our heart. That same metaphor comes up again here because Jesus is saying that this isn't actually about something that is yet to come. He's talking about the here and the now. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I just want to also pull, pull out that this is not something that you need to wait for. You don't wait for your heart to be in the right place. So Jesus was saying, be careful not to do your acts to show off before men. Sue mentioned two weeks ago when he was, she was preaching on that part of Matthew 6 that we tend to make it about rules. We just like to read rules into everything because it helps it be safe and contained and we feel a little bit less anxious about are we on the right path but actually it's Jesus isn't saying look friends just don't give to the needy don't pray and don't fast until you know for sure that you're not doing it to show off to others okay he's not saying that none of us would do anything ever for the Lord. He's actually saying where your treasure is, your heart will follow. He's not saying go and get your heart right and then go do things for me and then get the reward. He's saying if you start chasing after my treasures, my reward, your heart will be found there for that's just the way he's made us. Our hearts are where our treasures are. We don't need to get our hearts. He knows us. He knows us very well. We don't need to get our hearts 100% right before we start doing things. Richard Raw has said, if we are possessed by the idea of getting healed and constantly refuse to be there for others until we are healed, then we will never become whole. It's just not how God does his transformation in us. It's faith and action in, in the one. So let's talk about treasures for a moment because the concept of treasure originally just meant a receptacle for valuables, or a storehouse for your treasure. And it included thoughts stored up in the heart and mind. So that's kind of what the Greek original is trying to get at. This is an idea that this is not just the actual material things in your treasure house, it's the whole like storehouse for them, the place where we keep them. And your heart here is acting as a vessel for storing the treasure in. So I just want to reframe it because in Matthew's Gospel, the words heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. And we know that the kingdom of God is something that's breaking in right now. It's accessible. So Matthew isn't actually painting a picture here. I always, I always used to get the picture of, uh, you know when you'd play arcade games and you'd get those, those paper tickets and you collect enough and you can go and redeem your reward? I used to think that storing up my treasures in heaven was collecting a whole long list of arcade tickets and then you rock up at the pearly gates and you go, look at all the tickets I got doing all of the things. 
can I get the apartment right next to that awesome place over there in heaven? Like you cash it in when you get to heaven for some awesome other reward. That's how I used to think of it. And it really getting digging in here, I've really become convinced that the heart vessel, this is, this is our heart right now in this form. Like this isn't a kind of on the other side of eternity thing. This is for us right now. God is saying that he is giving us rewards, treasures that are indestructible, that no one can take from us, that nothing, nothing in this natural world can waste away, that we can actually access right now because our heart is the storehouse for his reward for us. And what is that reward? Because if it's not tickets that we can cash in when we get to heaven, and I'm convinced it's not gold and material things just because of the way that Jesus dealt with gold and material things, what is it? What is the reward? I'm convinced it's his attention on us. I keep thinking about my kids and how, well, my youngest one doesn't really say anything yet, but my three-year-old, one of the most constant refrains you will hear from him is, watch this, mummy. Watch me, mummy. He keeps learning new things and he just wants me to watch him. And I'll go over and I'll watch him do some, he calls them tricks, and he'll just like, did you see that trick? It's like, that's great. Yes, I saw it. Well done. And then he'll go, now can I have a lolly? Except he doesn't. He doesn't ask for a lolly. He doesn't ask for a reward. He actually just runs off and does the next trick. Because the reward, all he wanted was my attention. And that was enough of a reward for him. He'd worked hard on doing something and he just wanted me to witness him to acknowledge him, to say, well done. He didn't need any other kind of reward, except for when he was learning how to use the toilet. But otherwise, all he needs, all he needs from me, really, most of the time, is my attention. And we're the same, because we really are like little children before God. doesn't feel like it. Because we like to think we're in control and we really, we really try to master that as adults. Truth of the matter is you don't have to look too closely at things to realise we don't really have any say in anything. We are just like little children with God. And honestly, I'm convinced that what we need most in our hearts, what we deeply are longing for is his attention. And that's why the hypocrites of Jesus' day just kept getting caught up in their need for the approval and the witness, the attention of other people. But they'd lost sight of the fact that their heavenly father was also watching. And he's still watching us. So we need to be aware of what is happening in our hearts. But more than that, I think we really need to tap into what's happening in God's heart. Because it's all well and good to say we're just going to go out this week and surrender it back to God and say, God, will you do a work in my heart so that I will be truly motivated just to be pursuing you and doing it so that you can see me. I just want to do it for your reward, for your attention on me. 
I love that. I love that picture, but I feel like there's something meatier here that we can bring to this that really can help us understand well, when we realise that we've wandered off the life-giving path, we would do well to remind ourselves of what God's heart is for these acts of righteousness because I think often we can create a picture of God that is somebody who's just out there, he's just a distant father demanding us to do certain sacraments, to jump through certain hoops, that being a good Christian involves giving to the needy and praying and fasting and a few other things, meeting together. But actually there's a different, there's a heart he has that surpasses these sacraments and these spiritual disciplines and the things that we do. And I'm really privileged, I feel it's really timely to have this message on NADOC week because his heart is actually for justice and for mercy. And I think if you have been watching any of the other NADOC um, special programs on TV or anything around your social medias this week about NADOC week, you'll have heard a message come through which is it's great that everyone's focused on the oppression, the injustice and the things going on in our country uh, and that's really NADOC is, week is great, raising some awareness about that. But guys, don't just talk about it for one week of the year. And I feel like God's heart for justice is often something that we neglect. But it says in Proverbs 21, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And in Hosea 6, it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. For a long time, the message has come through really clearly that there are some rules and regulations that were given to the people, but God really cares about what's in our hearts and he really cares about this greater need for mercy and justice. And it's not just about what we do or what sacrifices we make. It's actually about justice and mercy and what's actually in our hearts. Jesus also said, he quoted Hosea in Matthew 9, when he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he's responding to some Pharisees who came up to him and said, why are you eating with the sinners? Why does your, why do you keep doing this? this and he goes, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, Jesus taught in the synagogues, but he also taught on hillsides because not everyone was allowed in the synagogues. And Jesus answered all the questions that he was ever given or that anybody from the religious leadership asked him, but he also answered the questions of heretical Samaritan women and Jesus ate with traitors and he ate with the corrupt and the greedy. He ate with the sexually immoral and he never excluded any of them. And I really, really strongly feel that if Jesus was to come back today, we wouldn't find him in our churches and we shouldn't be found here either. We come here, we meet and it's amazing. But Jesus would be out there. He'd be here on the Holy Week. He was always in synagogue on the Holy Day, on the Lord's Day. But then he was out there. And I really, really strongly believe that this is the gospel. It is about mercy and it is about justice. And the Lord wants us to go out there 
And our righteous acts aren't actually meant to be things that just show people that we're Christians and then that will convince them to also become Christian and follow Jesus. We're not meant to be set apart because we just do some things that other people don't do. We're set apart because we have a heart for people that is from God's own heart for them. And the only way we do that is by getting our hearts and our motives truly aligned with God's heart for the, for the poor, the oppressed, for anyone who needs justice and mercy. And the only way we truly do that, I believe, is by first recognising where we are just performing to show off for others or to win their approval or validation. And it's time for us to repent of that, turn to God and receive his reward. Receive his reward. It's the only way our hearts will change. It's not something we have to go out and do this week to try to make sure our hearts are right. (laughs) It's about surrender and it's about receiving that reward. And he'll take it from there. I just want to invite the worship team back up because tonight I do, there will be some of us in the room tonight who the Holy Spirit might want to be revealing things to you tonight about what's in your heart, some of our motives about our spiritual lives, our practices with him, our prayer life, our time of quiet and solitude with God and why we do these things. And he might want to bring some revelation to us tonight really believe that he also wants to bring us freedom from our performance mentality so that we don't have to be so worried and so caught up in what other people think about us. It's amazing the freedom that can come. Jesus said that the left hand should not be knowing what the right hand is doing. It's just, I I used to think that was a picture of secrecy. It's actually a picture of automation. It's just so automatic. You don't have to reflect on it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to analyse the way that we move in the world when we just are daily walking with God and he's daily bringing something new into our character that is more closely aligned to his heart than it was yesterday. So I invite you to take a, take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in your own hearts anything, any way that we've been serving him, practising our spiritual daily lives, but with motives that aren't actually about his, his love for people, his mercy, his justice, with motives that are actually about what we can get out of it or what other people are thinking about us. If you're feeling particularly anxious, particularly lonely, the Holy Spirit wants to impart something into your treasure house tonight, into your heart, that affirms that he sees you and he knows you And then he puts the lonely into families. You don't actually need to entirely rely on 
his acceptance and his love, like he's not intending for us to go out there and never need another person because God is the only one we need to fill up our love tanks. He's not. Because he's promised that he puts the lonely into family. And if there's anyone in the room who's struggling with anxiety, particularly about your future, and also for anyone who's struggling with social anxiety, like just anxiety in social settings, in your relationships, and you find yourself exhausted because you're constantly analysing and reflecting and going over what you said and what you didn't say and should have said and what that other person said and what they really meant. I just, the Lord wants to bring you peace and a quiet mind, which is not a suppression of your independence or your your individuality. It's not like he's just wanting to silence everything about you. He's just wanting to bring you into a place where you can more fully be yourself with others and more fully be yourself with him and spend less time and energy on being careful about what you say and do. And for anyone who's hearing the voice of God, at different points in their day and just feeling him prompting you to do things that you're finding a bit scary or you're, you're just questioning, is that really God? Did God really just point that person out? Did he just really ask me to, did I, is my heart being tugged in this direction? Is that really God? If you're anxious about whether or not you're hearing the voice of God and you desire desperately to be connected to him and to be hearing his voice and to be guided by his still small whisper. I really do feel like tonight he wants to give you a fresh impartation of his spirit, that you would have confidence in your innermost being, that he is dwelling with you, that he is closer than your breath, and that you can trust yourself to trust him. We're going to spend a few more moments in worship to close. But if you would like prayer for anything tonight, we invite you to come forward. That can be your act of bravery tonight. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.